Good morning. My name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. It's my privilege to bring you God's word today, which comes from Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 to 23. Please give your full undivided attention to the reading of God's holy word. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Amen. Join me in a word of prayer. Father God, I pray and I ask that you would open our minds to understand the scriptures, that you would open our eyes to see Christ that you would soften our hearts so that your word would fall on fertile, good soil. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus' reaction to Peter is somewhat shocking. He says, get behind me, Satan. And that seems like an uncalled for and inappropriate response to someone who wants to preserve and protect your life. So what's Jesus saying here? What's he implying here? That Peter is Satan? or that Peter is possessed by Satan. Thankfully, we don't have to guess because what Jesus means is clarified in his following statements. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. So Jesus isn't saying that Peter is Satan. Jesus isn't saying that Peter is possessed by Satan. But what he is saying is that Peter, in this moment, was so staunchly opposed to God's purposes in the same way that Satan is staunchly opposed to God's purposes. From the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, Satan has been resolutely against the purposes of God and utterly committed to derailing people's faith and gospel work. So when Peter rebukes Jesus and says, this shall never happen to you, he's standing in the way of Jesus and the cross. No cross means no atonement, means no forgiveness of sins, no justification, no salvation, no gospel. No cross means that everyone remains dead in their sins, justly deserving the wrath of God without any hope. Understandably, this was Peter's knee-jerk reaction. It was a, a visceral outburst expressing his devotion and affection for Jesus, but unbeknownst to him, baked into his rebuke, was a Satan-like opposition to Jesus' mission. Jesus, however, is not caught off guard. Jesus is the perfect example of how to overcome these spiritual battles. And he turns to Peter and tells Peter that he is a hindrance. And this word hindrance means a trap or a snare or an obstacle. Peter, like Satan, was getting in Jesus's way. In our current sermon series, we're learning about spiritual warfare, and there's a spiritual battle taking place here in this passage. What is spiritual warfare? Well, broadly speaking, whenever there is opposition to God's will and purposes, there's a spiritual battle taking place. And what does such opposition look like? Does it look like angels and demons clashing in the invisible realm? We do see in the Bible examples of such instances. But we learn in this passage that opposition to God's purposes doesn't always come so overtly 
or directly from Satan. In this case, it was Peter who was a hindrance to Christ. And if one of Jesus's inner circle disciples could be a hindrance to God's purposes, then we need to soberly consider whether we are in some way standing opposed without even realizing it. If you're a believer, I know you are not actively and consciously trying to be a hindrance to the purposes of God and gospel work. But what we're going to learn here in this passage, that like Peter, we may unknowingly be standing in the way. This morning, we're going to focus on Jesus's explanation for Peter's Satan-like opposition. He tells Peter, For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. That is the key verse. We're going to learn what that has to do with spiritual warfare and what that has to do with us. The first point this morning is this. Our minds are a spiritual battleground. Peter's mind, Jesus says, was set on the things of man and not on the things of God. The things of man and the things of God describe two different mindsets, two different worldviews. The things of man is a worldly mindset. The things of God is a gospel or heavenly mindset. The things of man believes that the visible and the material is the most valuable and important. It focuses on the present, doesn't think about the future judgment or about heaven or hell or about the state of our souls. Whereas the things of God affirms the material is good, but it's not everything and it's not the most important thing in life. That the most important thing in life is to glorify God and enjoy God. The things of God, that mindset knows that every person will stand before God one day and give an account for their lives. And that verdict of that judgment will determine whether we spend eternity in heaven or hell. This mindset knows as well that no one stands a chance when they stand before God apart from the righteousness of Christ that it is only by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ that we are saved and that our sins are atoned for and that we must trust in Jesus' perfect life, his death on the cross for our sins and his resurrection. This mindset knows that the most valuable thing in life is a personal saving relationship with Jesus. When Peter rebuked Jesus, his mind was not on the things of God. They were on the things of man. He was thinking about the temporary and not the eternal. He was thinking about his wants and not God's will. He was thinking about this life and not the next. And because his thinking was wrong, he stood in the way of Jesus' mission. This is why our mindset is so important. Our minds, they're like the, the Gettysburg of spiritual warfare. It's a key battleground. What happens in our minds can cause us to confess Jesus Christ in one moment and almost in the same breath say, this shall never happen to you. For this reason, Satan is going to go after our minds. And by doing so, he wants to either influence believers' mindset in such a way that they become a hindrance to the purposes of God or influence believers' mindset in such a way that they become uninterested in the purposes of God. One impedes gospel activity. The other is content with gospel inactivity. Both are obstacles to gospel work. How might Satan impede gospel activity 
or promote gospel inactivity at the same time. Satan can use one tactic to accomplish both, and that is this, to get us to set our minds on the things of man and not on the things of God. And how would he do that? I suppose he could try to directly influence each believer one at a time. However, Satan is not omnipresent like God. He can only be in one place at one time. And that would be unbelievably inefficient to try to focus on each believer. So how might he influence the mindset and worldview of a lot of people all at once? Now, I don't know exactly how Satan thinks, but the Bible describes him as a schemer. He's a great tactician. And I think Satan can influence and does influence our worldview by influencing the world. In the New Testament, Satan is called the ruler of this world or the God of this world. Now, that doesn't mean he has total power over this world. God alone has complete control, even over Satan. But it does mean this, that for the time being within the realm of God's sovereignty, Satan has great influence in this world. And by influencing this world, its ideologies, philosophies, culture, and zeitgeist, he can influence our worldview. Because we live in this world. We watch YouTube. We go on social media. We read the news. We listen to music. We interact with people. And these ideologies don't have to be overtly demonic in order to throw us off course. So how do we know if we're losing ground in this spiritual battle for our minds? We're going to flesh out the worldly and gospel mindset some more. And as we do so, I I want you to think if it in any way describes you or applies to you. Remember that even as believers, our minds can be set on the things of man. Peter was a true disciple of Christ. So the second point, What do these two mindsets look like? A mindset influenced by the world wants a Christianity on its own terms. We live in a world where we're so used to having things our way, and a mindset influenced by the world wants to have a Christianity its own way, wants to set its own parameters for following Jesus, the what, the when, and the how, We also live in a highly consumeristic world and society where we have endless options, where we can mix and match. And this consumeristic worldview can lead to a syncretistic Christianity, meaning we mix and match and make our own blend of the gospel and our own version of discipleship that suits our own lifestyles. And here's the thing, any blend is watered down. A mindset influenced by the world thinks that it can somehow follow Jesus without having to die to oneself. Whereas a gospel mindset believes that I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. A mindset influenced by the world doesn't think it's worth suffering for Christ and gospel ministry. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 32, what do I gain if humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? 
a worldly mindset is always thinking and always asking oneself, what am I getting out of this? When Paul says, humanly speaking, he's saying, from a worldly mindset, what is he gaining from risking his life for Christ? What is he getting out of imprisonments, countless beatings, and even stonings? And according to a worldly mindset, you're not getting anything out of it. It's not worth it. Pain and persecution are to be avoided at all costs. But those with a gospel mindset cling dearly to Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. A mindset influenced by the world lives like this life is all there is. Again, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Here, Paul is quoting the secular mantra of the city of Corinth. This is the attitude that this life is all that there is, and there is no life after death. Consequently, it makes life mainly about eating and drinking and entertaining oneself. And those are good things that God has given us to enjoy, but this mantra makes them the main thing. The gospel mindset doesn't abide by that mantra because it knows that there is life after death. The gospel mindset knows that when we die, we're going to wake up before God and he's going to ask for an account of our lives. A mindset influenced by the world hasn't deeply espoused the reality and glory of the resurrection. Those influenced by a worldly mindset are obsessed with self-preservation because they haven't embraced the reality and glory of the resurrection. Randy Alcorn, a Christian author, he says this, that if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who have done the most in this world are the ones who thought the most of the next. And I believe that is absolutely true. For example, Nicholas Ridley, he was an English Protestant martyr in the 1500s under the reign of Queen Mary, also known as Bloody Mary, and he was to be executed in the morning and the night before his execution. He says this, though my breakfast will be somewhat sharp, my supper will be more pleasant and sweet. Ridley had a gospel mindset. He deeply espoused the reality and the glory of the resurrection. And those with the gospel mindset, their minds are full of the empty tomb. That Jesus Christ is risen, death is defeated, and that like Christ, we too will have a glorious resurrected body. Death does not deter us from faithfully following Jesus. A mindset influenced by the world is pleased with just getting into heaven. What do I mean by that? Those influenced by a worldly mindset are okay living a minimally faithful life as a Christian as long as they get into heaven. They're pleased as long as they get there. But what pleases those with a gospel mindset is pleasing Jesus. They want to live a maximally faithful life because what pleases them most isn't just getting into heaven, but getting to hear the words of their Savior, well done, good and faithful servant. 
A mindset influenced by the world has a wrong view of their possessions. They think their possessions belong to them. But those with a gospel mindset knows that everything we have is not ours but belongs to God. They also think they can take their possessions with them. But a gospel mindset knows that we brought nothing into this world and we're not going to take anything out of this world. Those influenced with a worldly mindset think their status in this world will carry into the next. They're so busy elevating their worldly status, they forget that their place in this life does not correlate to their place in the next. The gospel mindset knows what Jesus says in Matthew 19, that many who are first will be last, and the last first. That those who we think are somebodies in this life, believers, that when they get to heaven, they're not going to have the status that they had in this world. That means there's going to be a lot of nobodies and people we've never heard of who are going to have so much recognition in heaven. There are faithful believers out there, faithful parents, faithful missionaries, who will never be featured on the Gospel Coalition, never speak at a conference, never write a book, who will be so famous and known in heaven. In summary, what happens if our minds are set on the things of man and of this world and not on the things of God? John Piper is very direct when he says this. We are perfectly useless as Christ-exalting Christians if all we do is conform to the world around us. Harsh but true. And that's because Satan wants to render us as useless as possible by trying to conform our mindsets to the things of this world. Practically, in this spiritual battle, how do we maintain a gospel mindset? The first thing is this. We need to understand our mindsets aren't static. I've never gone through an entire day with a gospel mindset. Maybe at best a few hours. But within any given day, my mindset is always being set and reset, set and reset. Imagine an office with 100 people. And they all have access to the thermostat. Think about how many times throughout that day that thermostat is going to be set and reset. In the same way, throughout the course of any given day, there are so many things we read and watch and people we're talking to, texting and messaging. There's so much on our social media feeds. And there are thousands of things that are constantly tampering with our mindset. And just like how those who are not sensitive to temperature won't notice when a coworker adjusts the thermostat just a few degrees warmer, those who are not spiritually sensitive won't notice when their mindset is adjusted just a few degrees worldlier. We need to be what the Bible calls sober-minded, which is mental and spiritual alertness, which brings us to our next practical point. We need to be rooted in the word. Ships only anchor in places where they know the anchor will reach the bottom, generally in areas closer to land. An anchor has no use if it doesn't reach the bottom. The boat will be swept away by waves and wind. In the same way, we need to deeply anchor ourselves and our minds in the word. We didn't make sure we're going deep into the word. If we're not anchored in the word, Paul says in Ephesians, we're going to be tossed to and fro by every wind and doctrine. Paul says in Ephesians 6 that we need to fasten on the belt of truth. We need to make sure that it's secure 
and that it's not slipping off throughout the day. And there are no shortcuts here. If we're going to be deeply rooted and anchored in the word, we have to put in the time. We have to put in the meditation and the memorization. Pastor Jamie just preached on this last week. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that sermon yet, I recommend you go back and do so. We need to also consider our company if we want to maintain a gospel mindset. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. This bad company that Paul is talking about here are false teachers who are influencing believers with with their false theology. They were filling their minds with false theology. And where our doctrine goes, we follow. However, it's not just false teachers who have false theology. Everyone is a theologian. Everyone has an idea of who God is, how he relates to us, and how we relate to him. Whether it's atheistic, agnostic, antagonistic, nominal, or Christian. So your coworkers, your spouses, your children, your friends are all theologians. Every musician, news network, author, talk show host is a theologian. Their theology informs how they live, the songs that they write, how they think and what they say. Paul is saying we need to be mindful of our company, of what we watch and listen to. You may not notice it, but their worldview may be rubbing off on your mindset. Their theology may be numbing you to the things of God. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. On the other hand, there are those that you do read and listen to and spend time with who make you want to live for God, pursue holiness, and follow hard after Jesus Christ and grow in discipleship. And so we want to be mindful of that company. And this doesn't mean we can't have non-Christian friends or listen to secular music. But it does mean we need to make sure we're not being unequally yoked. Something we should also ask ourselves is this. When people spend time with me, whether it's my spouse, my kids, my friends, what effect am I having on them and their mindset? Is the way that I'm living and talking, is my example causing them to have a worldly mindset? And are they setting their things on the things of man? Or is my life an example, speech and conduct, causing them to have a gospel mindset and setting their minds on the things of heaven? Lastly, we want to compare the worldly costs to the eternal reward. And it's important that you spend time and really think about this. I think this is a game changer. A worldly mindset believes the worldly costs outweigh the eternal reward. Whereas a gospel mindset believes that the eternal reward outweighs the worldly cost. Jim Elliott was one of the five missionaries who was martyred in Ecuador. And I think he was one of the most heavenly minded believers. And he said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That is the gospel mindset in a nutshell. Brothers and sisters, I pray that we would lay this 
up in our hearts. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would fill our minds with the things that are above. Holy Spirit, help us to set our minds on the things of God. Help us in this spiritual battle for our minds. Would we be anchored and rooted in your truth and your word? Father God, I pray that we would find ourselves dying to ourselves more, taking up our crosses every day and saying it is worth it, knowing what lies in store ahead.